Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connections, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, hello, and thanks for tuning in to a brand new episode of Back to Basics. I want to welcome Rebecca Reed, who, besides being a self-described education futurist, is the founder of the Teacher Mastermind and the host of the Off the Assembly Line podcast. Hello, Rebecca. How are you doing? Hello. I'm doing so well. So glad to be on. Well, I'm very excited to have you on because I've heard many great things about you. And uh, it's, I guess, one of the things that uh, the podcast has brought to me, and I've mentioned this before, is just I'm getting to meet so many interesting and inspirational people that it's amazing. Mm, absolutely. So thank you for being on. And I know that we'll have so many things in common that uh, I think it's going to be a great interview. I've been reading a little bit about you and your amazing webpage. And of course, everything will be out there. But in perfect back to basic style, I like to start my interviews by asking you to share with us about your childhood and your background and how were you raising, you know, how were you raised and, and all that family life of the early years? Sure. Yeah, so I grew up um, in Central Florida for the most part. I actually spent my really early childhood um, in the greater Boston area up in Massachusetts. Um, so kind of went from really, really cold weather down to really, really warm weather. And I lived with um, my mom and my dad and my younger sister growing up. And what can I say? We, I had a wonderful family. Uh, we were very, very much a spiritual and religious family. So I definitely grew up um, very active in the church and in youth group and those kinds of things. And um, yeah. Great. And what did you enjoy doing? Because this is where I try, I, you know, in, the, in this podcast, I play psychologist. I'm not one, <laughs> but I, I, I love to do that and, and try to establish a connection really into what, what I like to call, you know, the basics. And, mm. and, and it's funny because someone uh, out of a recent, my last episode, actually, with Keith Tremel, which I think you know, too. Maybe, maybe not. But someone said um, in a comment said, if you stick to the basics, you don't have to go back to basics. Hmm. And, and I loved it. And I said, okay, now you're going to be on my podcast because I have a lot of questions about that. But it's true. So it's kind of what I'm trying to do is if you stick to what you like, what your passions are, maybe, hey, you know, when you're an adult, you can find more fulfillment. And I think sometimes we stray. So what mm. were you passionate about when in your young years? That's such a great question. Well, first and foremost, um, sports and basketball, believe it or not, my, <laughs> my dream. Um, I don't remember the first time that I really became aware of this dream, but it was probably when I was seven or eight years old. Uh, but I believed that I was going to be the first woman to play in the NBA. 
Oh, well, that's a great dream. Yeah. And I played basketball all through high school. So no believe way. it or not, we, ha we have a lot in common. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. So I, I was very, very competitive and I played through, um, you know, middle school, high school, and even in college. And um, I did not wind up becoming the first woman in the NBA. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, but sure. it was a good dream to have. It was, it was. And Yeah, it really was a good dream to have because it was big and really kind of propelled me forward into a lot of different things. And I, so I, you know, that was a dream that I had. Um, and I, I also just love sports in general. I played competitively um, in a lot of different sports, softball, volleyball, flag football, you know, whatever, whatever might come across my path. I was really excited to jump into. I always loved also um, when I was really little, because you say go back to basics and I'm like you know yeah. what did I what did I love when I was you know way back to what I can think of and I loved being outside building forts climbing trees um, doing all of the very active imaginative adventurous um, kind of things I was not interested in playing with dolls or playing house or anything along those lines. I really was um, quite active and, and um, always kind of chasing down what was next in like a very uh, physical way. Interesting. Was your sister like that? No, she was all try as I might. Um, I tried to pull her along. <laughs> well, yeah, I asked that because I had a brother and a sister and I'm Basically, you're describing me when I was a little girl, like very active, almost tomboyish. And my sister liked to play with dolls, mm -hmm. dress with dresses and that kind of stuff. So I was curious. Yeah, she yeah, she loved she loved playing with Barbies and um, she was very uh, creative. She also was into music earlier than I was. I did try to pull her along and teach her how to play basketball and volleyball and all those things. And she did some of that later on. But uh, but yeah, we were very different in that way. Interesting, interesting. So did sports uh, guided you into into university or college? I know that where I come from, that wouldn't be a defining factor. But uh, did any of that happen that you chose where to go to school or something like that based on on, on um, sports? I almost did, you know, as um, as it became apparent that I was not going to be in the NBA, right? <laughs> I started realizing that um, earlier rather than later. And so my, my dream adapted somewhat, um, but I, I always wanted to play basketball through college. And I almost made a college decision based on it, but ultimately wound up going to a small school here in Central Florida. And uh, I did play basketball there, but it was certainly not at the level of competition that I had always dreamed of. Um, but it was interesting because some other things started taking the place of of that dream and of that love, you know, as I went through college and, and beyond. Interesting. And what did you, what uh, did you decide to study? So I went to a small Christian college called Florida Christian College. It's it's now joined with another university, and it's uh, now called Johnson University, Florida. And I studied youth and family ministry while I was there. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And so, and then any reason, I mean, of why you wanted to study that, or was just something that just happened because of your environment at that point? Well, I always knew that I wanted to help people. That was probably the, the, that was the clearest 
um, understanding of sort of my career goals that I had at the time. I, I wanted to help people. I had thought about going into counseling and ultimately decided that was not the right move for me. But, you know, it's interesting as I look back at it because, you know, you ask, was it, was it just a, a product of, you know, the environment that I was in? And, you know, one of the things that I, I try not to have um, regrets, right? I try not to look back um, on my life path and be anything but grateful because who's to say where we would be, you know, if we had taken a different path or kind of been on a different road. But one thing that I really do wish I had experienced earlier in my life, I wish I had been exposed to more. I wish I had seen more of what was out there, more of what was possible. I wish I had been connected to greater, just a greater visibility of the opportunities when I was younger. Mm -hmm. You know, I went through high school and the career pathways that seemed to be available to us at the time were pretty narrow. Um, You know, the real world was pretty disconnected from my high school experience. And then I went right Mm -hmm. into a very small college that was very focused on, you know, really preparing people to go into ministry, which was not necessarily uh, what I wanted to do. But those, you know, that was what was really available. And I knew that even if I did not go into youth ministry, family ministry, that what I was learning about child and youth development, what I was learning about family dynamics, all of those things would serve me and I would be able to put into practice in some form or fashion down the road. Little did I know that I would go into education, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I knew that those things were valuable regardless so you had like almost a, like a conviction that, you know, I don't know where this is going to take me, but I know it's going to be useful. Right, exactly. Interesting. Well, that sounds exciting, however, uh, how life pans out. So when you finish college, you finish your studies, did you go right, right there to work or what, what happened then? I was fairly lost when I graduated. Um, I I remembered feeling sort of the urgency of of like figure your life out over the la- over my senior year of college and even before that first year post graduation was up. Um, my mom actually uh, got very sick with what turned out to be uh, more or less a mystery illness that over time wound up taking her vision and her hearing and um, and created other difficulties. But sorry to hear that. That sounds rough time. It was, it was very, yeah, it was very hard. So everything kind of blew up at that point for me. You know, I had, I had graduated sort of with, um, you know, the whole world was wide open and I was kind of terrified and aimless and had no idea what was next. And if I was going to, you know, should I go and get my master's? Well, I don't know what I want to get my master's in. You know, I, I didn't know what exactly to do. But before I really had a chance to get going with that, yeah, my, my mom got sick and there was a lot of uncertainty up in the air. And, and that first year um, after she got sick, that the year following, really everything was on pause as we tried to understand what was happening. It, it, well, it was still to this day an undiagnosed um, inflammatory um, brain condition, probably autoimmune. Science probably has not caught up with what it actually uh, was that she had. But, you know, we spent that first year really trying to understand 
what was going to happen next? You know, was was she going to fully recover as they initially told us, or or were things going to continue to actually decline? And and that's actually what wound up happening. So it things were sort of on pause for me for for a couple of years, while you know we kind of worked through that crisis, and it, and it really was a crisis at the time. Of course. And so I have to uh, understand from your story that unfortunately, then after a couple of years, your mom passed away. She actually passed away two years ago. So yeah, that um, she first, first got sick in 2006. and, And she passed in 2017. Okay, well, although it's sad news, I'm happy that hopefully you have some good time with her after she initially got sick. And we're able to to make the most out of it. We yeah, we did our we did our very best. It was definitely tough, but I'm grateful for grateful for what we did have. Yeah, yeah. So so basically, you had that hiatus for two years. Then obviously, you had to deal with the situation for of your mom, but somehow went back into into working or deciding what's next. What was next for you? Yeah, I slowly started to kind of emerge and and realize that things things were going to be how they were going to be, but I was going to have to start moving forward and and taking some next steps in life and the my alma mater reached out to me and and asked if I would want to come and and join the team um in the admissions office and and do some work recruiting students and Yeah. And so that's what I did next. I spent um, some time, I spent about four years there and wound up becoming the, eventually the director of admissions there. And yeah. Interesting. And of course I know, and I don't want to fast forward, but uh, I know that there was a pivotal time or a a moment where you encounter Seth Godin. (laughs) Yes. Right. Because that, that we have in common that, that there was a moment for me as well. So uh, t- take me a little bit to, to that moment, and, and, and if it's too fast forward, then just give me, you know, what, what, what happened? Why were you finding a guy like Seth Godin? Because when you find him, it's like you're looking for something, right? Yeah, or, you, or you're coming to a very specific point in time. So it is quite a bit of fast forwarding, actually. I'll see if I can very quickly sum up. It's, you know, looking back um, on the first, you know, 25 or so, 27 years of my life feels very, very different from where I am today and, and the mindset that I have today and the experience that I have today. Um, so it's, it's interesting to kind of take stock of all of it. But from from my time um, working in higher ed admissions, I, I left that position really asking myself, where did I want to invest my life? Where did I want to invest my professional energy? And I spent quite a bit of time reflecting and all the signs kept pointing back to K-12 education, the K-12 education system. And I was very confused by that. I didn't think that I was meant to be a teacher. And yet I, I couldn't understand any way to impact education without being in the classroom and, and, and working with students and, and understanding everything that goes into being a teacher and educating students. So I started in the elementary classroom and I was uh, an elementary teacher for about four years and then had the opportunity to begin working with teachers and teacher development and problem-based learning and classroom facilitation. And I began working with a STEM education nonprofit called Project Lead the Way and um, spent about three years with them. And 
So that's really fast, but it brings us up to my encounter, if you will, <laughs> with, with Seth Godin. Um, you know, I, I had been feeling, let's, let's bring it up to like t- 2018. I had been feeling very urgently for some time that I was not contributing to the education space or really even to the world in the way that I was capable of and the way that I wanted to. I felt like I was giving about 10% of what I was really meant to give. And over time, that became quite painful. I, I couldn't really operate in that mode for much longer. And I had been for a little while. And as 2018 started to come to a close, I started really asking myself, what was 2019 going to be about? What was that year going to be about for me? I was feeling very urgent in my life and what needed to be in place for me to start moving forward in the ways that I really wanted to. And Seth kind of entered in (laughs) this time sort of from the side as I was moving forward with all this. Um, I had been familiar with his work, but had not, hadn't uh, dived deep into any of his books or blogs or anything like that. And um, we actually did a book exchange um, and the team that I was on, and the it was sort of like white elephant style, like you just draw a name, and, and the person that you get, you kind of find out what they're interested in, and you send them a book. And the person who got me, she sent me two small books, and one of them was Seth Godin's Poke the Box. Are you from, have you heard of that book? No. Oh my goodness. So it's, it's very, very small. It's like bite-sized Seth nuggets. Um, all on the topic of the initiators, the people who, the people who are, you know, who are the linchpins, who, who are not afraid to poke the box to see what will come out. The people who aren't afraid to pick themselves and, um, and to start things. And he was saying, you know, that the world needs more people who are willing to start things, more initiators. And I was, you know, gobbling this little book up and I was thinking, oh, this is so good. Like, I just need to be hearing this at this time. I started listening to Seth's podcast, um, Akimbo, and one episode really stood out to me. And that was the one about picking yourself, you know, and he just says there, there are only so many positions that other people um, can pick for. There's, there's not enough for everyone to be picked for it. So if you want to be doing a greater amount of work. If you want to be contributing in a new and different way, why not pick yourself? And I, that's all of these things started really resonating. And as I started really envisioning what was, what was going to be my 2019 year, what was it going to be about? All at once, I sort of realized that the limitations I was bumping up against really were not external the way that I thought that they had be, had been. They were actually internal. They were within me. They were my own self-limiting mindsets. Uh, And I had kind of a revelation with that. And so around the new year, I was just online. I I don't know what exactly I was searching for, but um, I came across the Alt-MBA program, Seth Godin's Alt-MBA. And I I didn't think that I had heard of it before. And as I started reading who it was for, what it was for, 
it was like kind of a thunderclap. I realized, I, you know, I had this moment of, oh my goodness gracious, this is the thing that I didn't know that I need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I have to do this and I have to do it now. Like I really felt this urgency that I had to do it now. Um, and of course I did it um, in May and it was, I think, safe to say life-changing for me. But yeah, that's my introduction to Seth. Sorry, I know that was long. <laughs> no, but this is what it's all about because I think, you know, I obviously love to hear about the, the, the background, but the aha moment, that moment where you really kind of have those butterflies in, in your stomach when you read something that you knew, you know you have to do it, that urgency that you're describing, I think that's really hopefully what inspires anybody out there listening to this that can recognize those moments in their own lives and maybe they haven't acted upon something. And so the more we share these stories, I think the more uh, we help others that, that have had that experience but haven't acted upon mm, it. So absolutely. I think it, it was great. And and I can tell by the the work you're putting out. I mean, it's obviously fantastic. Your webpage is amazing, and and definitely I want to know about the the your podcast and 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 your program, uh, the teacher mastermind. But definitely, you you can tell that you are uh, linking the dots into where you're coming from and where you want to go. And I think you're in a very special place because education and uh, what you describe in, in one, I think it's in your webpage that says that the gap between what is and what could be mm-hmm. is very powerful. And I see it in my own industry, you know, I'm in telecom and I'm not going to speak about work, but, you know, is we have a shortage of workers in telecom because, you know, it's uh, really the trades and, and the technical work and, and the hands-on work is really not being, um, you know, fostered by parents and, and by kids. And, and these are very good careers that could could mean middle-class living for a lot of people that maybe don't have a better option, but they don't even know about it. Mm-hmm. It's that exposure that I mentioned before. That's It's such a difference maker. And yeah, I think you're kind of hitting on something important there. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's all about in my own life. So when I was reading about you and I see, you know, what you're working on and workforce and all that stuff, it's almost where I'm being dragged into for mm-hmm. work. And, and I am not an educator and I'm just mo- mostly I've been in my industry for a long time. But that intersection that you also described, the unseen intersection where education, innovation and the real world collide. So uh, I think that's brilliant. Mm, thank you. Yeah, I made so many notes out of it. Well, I love that. And, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you, but you're not an educator, but the world of education really needs the expertise and the knowledge and the perspective and the skills of those who are doing work like you're doing. Uh, you know, it's it's that connection that really creates the authentic learning experiences that change the game for students. I love that. I'm taking notes. That's why you don't hear me talking. <laughs> well, I pause because I know that I could run off in a direction, no, but let me. But I, let I think it's on. great. I mean, I, I think that, well, that takes us very well into, into your initiative and the teacher mastermind and your podcast of the assembly line. So why don't you talk a little bit about that and, and what you're, what is getting you excited these days? Oh, oh my goodness. So many things are getting me excited. And, you know, it's, it's so interesting when I look back 
um, and compare where I'm at now to the thinking that I had uh, a year ago, even in 12 months, how much can change if we're able to kind of move past our internal barriers. So one, that's getting me very excited is the potential that we really all have if we're willing to identify and move through our barriers. But in my work, so the teacher mastermind um, might be a little bit deceiving by name. It's it's actually a virtual community that includes um, folks who are making a difference in education even beyond the role of teacher and even beyond the classroom. We have folks who are administrators, who are instructional designers, who are all across the U.S. and even beyond, um, and even some industry professionals as well. And I think what's so exciting about this group, as we come, we come together biweekly for face-to-face virtual meetings, right, and, and kind of experience this very generous community. But it's been really exciting for me to see the energy um, and the inspiration that comes so quickly in a group like this. It's extremely re-energizing for the people who are a part of it. But also, I think the thing that um, I love the most about the Mastermind community is being able to be a part of the incredible visions that each of these professionals have um, and and just seeing the transformation that can come when other highly skilled, highly talented people are able to suspend their own stories, goals, needs, whatever it might be for a moment and step into somebody else's. Uh, for the purpose of pouring into them, coaching them, uh, collaborating with them, championing them, challenging them. It's it's really a powerful thing that is hard to fully capture if you haven't first experienced it. And remind me, did, I know we're connected through Seth Godin uh, as, as one of our connecting points, but did you go through the Alt-MBA? No, I didn't. I went through the two of his programs, the the fellowship podcast, mm-hmm. which is Al- where I met Alistair, and that's how we connected. Yes. And uh, the bootstrapping uh, program. Mm, very good. Well, uh, you know, going through the Alt-MBA gave me, it turned some lights on for me that wound up leading to the teacher mastermind. And, and some of the lights that went on for me through that process were, the amount of learning and acceleration that comes from a generous community. It's, it's not something that really can be replaced or substituted with anything else. There's nothing quite like it. It's also hard to explain if you haven't gone through it, but that's what we're experiencing in the mastermind. Um, and I think what else is really exciting to me about the mastermind is one of the things that I wanted to come out of it that I hoped would come out of it would be a widening of individual viewpoints. And I hope that we would be able to raise the level of visibility in what is going on in education from from one region to the next. And through that, really give really give members an opportunity to see the bigger picture. Um, and that's that's definitely happening. And they've been sharing that that's something that's coming out for them. So I'm really excited about that. It sounds great. It sounds like a great initiative. And, and I think it's uh, it's almost like a movement, you know, where you want to break the status quo. And also, as you say, on the trailer of your podcast, it's like it is time to disrupt. 
right. education. And we feel the same in telecom. I think it's really we are living in disruptive times and we need to be open to think differently. And uh, it, you see the resistance around. I don't know if you feel it. I feel it everywhere I go that every time you're trying to propose something different or you're doing something different, even this podcast, people question, like, why would you do that? And that's the fear of being disrupted, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And and so I, I find it very interesting. I think in education, obviously, as, as a mom, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's something that it's uh, you think about because you start seeing how your kids are, are kind of studying the same things you studied, mm-hmm. but the world is different. That's right. They're, they're growing up in a different world. So you, I already feel that some of the things that work for me are not going to work for my kids. That's right. Yeah. And, and some things are enduring, right? Some skills are enduring. Some competencies are enduring. They will, they will be needed for from here to eternity. And, you know, the way that students are taught best will be the same from here to eternity because our cognitive development is, is the same as it has been, right? Our brains develop in the same way neurologically as they have. But there are other things that really are already obsolete. And so if they're obsolete in the real world and they're not serving where students are going to be going, uh, we really need to take a look at why we're doing what we're doing and be willing to to do the big work to make the shifts that need to be made. But, you know, in an institution like education, that it's easier to, it's easy to say that, you know, and to call out what is problematic. It's a different story entirely to say, okay, we're going to link arms and be willing to find the solutions and put those things into place. And the podcast is really born out of the last several years I've worked with thousands, truly, uh, of educators uh, and administrators and students across the U.S. and even beyond the U.S. And one of the things, um, and by the way, also um, industry professionals who are pouring into education. So I've worked with folks on kind of both sides of the aisle, incredible people who are truly making an impact in the space they're working in. But the level of visibility is very low. It's very hard to Google search, for example, you know, who's making an impact in, you know, this or that way, or there are a lot of people doing really incredible work, um, but it's hard to find. It's, it's hard to easily find. And so what you have is a lot of people who are recreating the wheel and doing a lot of the early heavy lifting that somebody somewhere else has already done. So the podcast, I'm hoping over time, will raise the level of visibility and give folks models that are easy to connect to and easy to follow. And I think that'll really help us move the needle forward uh, much more quickly than we'd ever be able to individually. No, I totally agree with you. And I probably need to reconnect with you on on, on a different note on on our own industry and where it's going, because I think you have so much uh, knowledge into into what's going on. And as you say, you know, you're looking into the future rather than in the past. And, Mm -hmm. And so I learned in all my research that you also did go for that master's. (laughs) <laughs> I did. And I actually just graduated on Sunday. Congratulations. And I, and <laughs> I want to hear, and I'm, I made a point of saying this because I ha- I know so many people that tell me, oh, it's too late. I wish I could have done this. And, mm. you know, when you see people, not that you're old, but you know that you're already, you know, 
while advancing your career and you go for a master's, it's living proof that, you know, there's no such thing as too late. Oh, absolutely. I started my master's program in the fall of 2017, which was 12 years after I had graduated with my bachelor's. So, uh, yep, a decade and, you know, a decade plus had passed in between for me. And it, it did. It felt very different going back as a student and kind of figuring out how to re-navigate everything again. But it's absolutely doable. And, you know, there are so many avenues for learning right now that are highly effective um, that, you know, going back for a full master's or a doctorate or something like that, um, uh, you know, a formal degree, that doesn't have to be the path that you take to continue yourself moving forward. But I think that the bigger point is this idea that it's too late to start again or to do something new or to take a big step. It's never too late for that. And those boundaries, those limitations really ultimately exist within our own minds, you know? Absolutely. Well, I'll share quickly a story with you that is something we have in common, but it relates to this. I decided at 30 that I wanted to learn the piano. Hmm. <laughs> so I started at 30 and took six years of private lessons. And uh, I can tell that now every time I see my piano, and it's many years later, um, well, now I'm 46, 10 years since I started, I stopped doing it. It's probably the only thing I look at that it's a failure for me. <laughs> because I took six years, but I learned very quickly that piano is not one of those things that, you know, you, <laughs> unless you have a lot of time to devote to it, mm -hmm. uh, it's a tough, it's a tough thing to learn and be good at. And, uh, but it's good because I learned to read music and I mm -hmm. did play, you know, the canon and all that. But mm -hmm. it, it, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to sit at the piano. This is what I visualize. I would sit at the piano and I would play and relax. No, that was mm. not such thing because you have to be really good to get to that. You know, that's interesting that you say that, you know, you're saying that um, piano is one of those things that you have to fully invest in to really get any to to get value out of it. And I might push back on that a little bit. And I might say, it depends on what you want to get out of it. And I, I say that because I picked up the guitar when I was um, when I was in college, actually, and I uh, taught myself to play and I, you know, played chords, I took a theory course one semester. And hated it. <laughs> I, uh -huh. I could not, I could not get into the theory side, the technical side. And so I wound up giving up on that. And for a while, I felt like I had failed at playing the guitar. I hadn't pushed hard enough. I hadn't been willing to practice. I could have been this and that kind of player, but I didn't really pursue it well enough. And it left me kind of feeling, yeah, like I was lacking a little bit, but and I didn't play for many years. Um, I kind of got to a very um, comfortable level where I was comfortable with, you know, what I what I could do and what I could do pretty well, um, but no further. And so because of that, I stopped. I stopped playing. But recently, um, I've been picking it up again, and I've been picking it up only for 
pure, my own pure enjoyment. Um, and only when I feel like it. And when I do, I play very simple songs. Um, and it's usually for my mental well-being. It's usually if I'm feeling anxious or stressed, I'll play just some very like low key acoustic songs that have like four chords in them and I'll sing along. And it has been so joyful to be able to pick it up without any expectation looming over it. So that's, I don't know, it's, it's interesting. Now, yeah, I had, to, I had to learn enough to be able to play those four chords and sing at the same time. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, I maybe, and this is why I remember, because you wrote a very good article, and I'll share it on the notes about uh, the best advice you were given. Mm. And uh, I did go as an adult to that terrible experience of going to a recital, mm -hmm. and I was the oldest person person playing everybody else was like seven years old and I was 31 and I completely froze froze completely in front of the piano so imagine I was already I had already two masters by that time I, I could speak to an audience of I don't know hundreds of people and not feel nervous about and here I am totally petrified <laughs> because I knew once my finger went to the wrong key, it was going to be really hard to recover from that. And that's exactly what happened mm -hmm. with the exception that my teacher was very strict and she went up the stage and say, forget that you've heard anything. Oh no. <laughs> yes. Okay. Let's do this over. Forget that you heard anything in front of the entire audience and made me step out of the, of the, of the stage. Mm -hmm. and made me come back in <laughs> to start it all over again. So imagine okay. pressure. <laughs> so I understand why you why you have some trauma around this. <laughs> yes, yes. And I did keep going and I finished the piece. I didn't play perfectly the second time around, but I, I managed through it. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it was very enjoyable. But bottom line is I quit. I guess in that I, I agree with you. I quit when I felt... I was done. It's almost like, I know I can do this. I mm -hmm. just need time to invest in it. And right. I was getting married at the time and there were a lot of things going on. So I put my priorities, you know, and say, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to have to say no to something, which is very hard to me, for me to say. Mm. So it's almost kind of had its learning experience, but I have the piano there. You never know. But uh, when I read your story, um, you know, it was, uh, it really resonated mm -hmm. uh, with me. Oh, I love, yeah, I, I absolutely relate to that story, except that I <laughs> didn't have to leave and come back in. But, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually call that a failure. It sounds like you learned what you needed at the time. And yeah, you, you stopped when you felt you were done. I wonder what it would be like now if you were to come back to it, it and, and begin playing not by lesson and not by theory and, and not from like a technical perspective or expectation. But what if, I mean, I'm just curious that you might not be interested in piano anymore at all, but I think it would be a different experience if you said, you know, I love this song that I hear. I'd love to learn to play that song. And, you know, and you went through the many channels available to pick up a few chords and to play a song that you love just for your enjoyment, it might be a totally different experience. And I think you're totally right. You know, I, the, the other problem is I married a musician. Oh, well, he's well. an engineer, but he's <laughs> a musician also. So that might have had something to do with it. But his advice, 100% your advice right now. Mm. He said, you have to maybe forget about the technical aspect of it, the teaching. And my, my teacher was very strict. But I think... 
I don't want to fast forward or give it away for your story, but you did have something similar and you went, you kind of stumbled through the piece, but saw through it. It wasn't a good piece, but then you received the best advice someone else given you or a very good advice that someone else given you. Can you just, I think it would take us to a good point to close our conversation if you share that mm -hmm. little story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this was this was the best feedback I had ever. And feedback is a tough thing to give and receive well. Uh, but this is the best feedback I ever received. And I was in my freshman year. I had overextended myself. And I played piano when I was in middle school and a little bit of high school. And then I had stopped. And I decided when I went to college, you know, I want to pick this back up again. And so I had picked back up with a very introductory level course uh, called Piano Lab, where we play with a few other students. And for the end of semester final, we had to perform an individual piece um, at, at a recital that was filled with music majors and um, very accomplished pianists and musicians. And I, as I often do and often did, overextended myself and did not give a whole lot of time to practicing my piece. It was a piece I had played before. I thought I would be perfectly fine. And then I get there um, on the day of the recital, having, you know, not slept through finals week and having not practiced. And I sat down, <laughs> I sat down to play canon and D. And by the way, I was the first person to play, which if you're familiar with recitals, that means you are at the lowest level of anybody in the room. And I sat down to play this piece, canon and D, which even at the intro level was very long. It was uh, many pages long. And as I started, I... Yeah, anxiety took over and I missed one note on one line. And that one note was enough to send me off for the rest of the piece. And I continued to try to find my place and I struggled the entire way through. I missed at least one note on every line for the rest of the piece. And I remember thinking as my world kind of collapsed around me, okay, you have two choices. You can either get up right now and leave the room and never come back. Um, <laughs> or you can just, you know, suck it up and power through and it's going to be ugly, but you'll finish. And I opted to finish ugly. Um, and I, I got <laughs> through it and I sat down and I was embarrassed. And I remember after a while thinking, well, you know, I'm always very hard on myself. Maybe it's not as bad as I thought that it was. But I, <laughs> I had kind of convinced myself that maybe it was, maybe it was not so bad. And as we were all filing out at the end, um, the head of the department, who is a brilliant pianist, um, very accomplished, who I had never met before, um, but knew who she was because of, you know, her legend. Um, as I left the room, she took my hand, you know, um, shake my hand, and then she kind of realized who I was. And she um, was a, a very kind, but also very straightforward person. And she looked at me and said, Oh, you were very brave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. And all at once, I one, knew that, yes, in fact, it was the worst performance that anybody had ever heard. Okay, I, it, it was as bad as I thought. Um, but two, I also knew that I was going to be okay, because, you know, I could tell that this incredible 
professor was for me. And, and that's, that's what I loved about this feedback. And of course, it's not, it's not technical feedback. And it's, it's really, um, it, but it paints a helpful picture, which is that her feedback was, was so it cut to the core so well, because it was very, very honest and accurate. Um, it, it painted the picture of my poor performance very clearly. I had no doubt in my mind. Um, but it was also delivered with kindness. And, and I don't just mean with kindness in, in her tone um, or in, you know, kind words, but the words that she used were the, the most positive things. It was the most positive things she could have possibly said while still being honest, which for me, the subconscious takeaway was she's for me. She's on my side. She wants me to continue to improve. And, and that has always stuck with me as an incredible framework for feedback. It's got to be honest and accurate. It has to be clear um, for the person receiving it. But it also has to be delivered with kindness. It has to be delivered in a way that lets the hearer know that you are for their growth ultimately. So, yeah. Absolutely. No, I think that's so true. And, and I've always say, and, and you know, it's, it's not what you're saying, it's how you say it. Absolutely. Because you might be very right. And I can take that as you know, because one has to be objective. So you know, sometimes that someone is telling you the truth is the way they use and the words they use. That's what what's not conducive to to good communication, right? Mm -hmm. So no, I love that story. And you know, it's it's I mean, I could talk for hours, I can I can tell but you've been so good. And uh, one of the things that uh, I definitely ask before we end um, our chat is, you know, what makes you tick? I'm sure you're working on things that, that you're enjoying very much. But if you have an hour to do something just to remember who you are, like say, wow, this, this is what I enjoy. I had one and I'll share it very quickly. Mm -hmm. one, this week I went boating with my husband and I went to the, to the, to the front of the, of the boat and he was going really fast. And I remember my, my family always boated like when we were young and there was very few things I enjoy more than going fast on a boat when hmm. you're on the front of the boat. And I just feeling the wind and seeing the sea. And so I, I rediscovered something that takes me back to basics this weekend. Mm -hmm. What is it for you? Is there any little things like that that you say, oh, I enjoy this so much? Well, I love that. There is something about being out on the water that is so freeing. But I think the thing that immediately came to mind when you asked that was climbing mountains. And I don't, I live in Orlando, Florida, so I have very few opportunities for it. But a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go out to to Alaska for work. I was out there on a work trip, but I had a few opportunities while I was there to climb a couple of mountains. And it, it reminded me that I was alive. Um, and it also reminded me that it made me realize how how little I had felt that alive, you know, to that point and kind of reawakened something in me. So that's, yeah, that would be a back to basics for me that I don't get to do as often as I like, but there's something about, there's something about climbing a mountain. Well, I love that. It sounds to me that you're climbing 
your mountains professionally and that you're mm -hmm. enjoying life and that you're mm -hmm. really making meaningful contributions. So uh, you're an inspiration, Rebecca. Thank you so much for saying yes to being on this podcast. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This was a joy. No, I'm excited. I think you you will be your episode is going to be great to be heard now when when we're closing one year and starting another year It's going to give people inspiration to see what is it that they want to conquer. If you know, if you think of your story, you really took a lot of action in the past year and a half two years, correct? Yeah, so, it's amazing. what I mean, can change even in even in six months. It's amazing what can change if you just start going. Exactly. So I hope that anybody listening is willing to remove whatever barriers it is that you have that are preventing you from climbing your own mountain. And uh, I wish you all successful 2020 and let's make it count. So thanks so much, Rebecca. Thank you. Okay, take care. And until the next time. <laughs>